Hello, and welcome to PW FaithCast. FaithCast is a series of interviews with some of today's top authors who write in the category of religion, spirituality, and inspiration. I'm Marcia Nelson, Religion Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly. I'm delighted that one of America's best-known inspirational novelists, Karen Kingsbury, is joining me today for our inaugural FaithCast. Karen has written a shelf's worth of novels. Fifteen of her books have hit number one on national best-selling lists. Karen's newest novel is The Chance, due in March, from Howard Books, which is the sponsor of today's presentation. In The Chance, childhood friends Nolan and Ellie are separated when circumstances prompt Ellie's abrupt move from Georgia to California. Before the two friends separate, each writes a letter to the other that they bury in a box, and they agree to open the box 11 years later. In the course of those 11 years, the two naturally change. Ellie becomes a single mother, Nolan a professional basketball star. As the date approaches, their separate worlds seem much farther apart than Georgia and California. Woven into this story are themes of faith and the power of love when mistakes are made. So, let's begin our conversation, Karen, by focusing on your newest book, The Chance. Please tell us how you got the idea for it. Well, you know, I um, just love the idea. I actually kind of just had a picture of just these two friends that kind of just came to my mind where they had written these letters and buried them and didn't read them till later. And, you know, I think kind of talking about high school reunions with our kids, that kind of thing, and just how the years go by very quickly. And, um, you know, at 15 years old, 11 years feels like eternity. But 11 years later, it's like, well, where did those years go and what happened to us in between? So, you know, that kind of was the beginning point. And then from there, you know, I was just trying to find two people who couldn't possibly be more different now that the 11 years had passed. I see. Indeed. I, I was really struck by the, 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 the divergence that their paths had taken. Um, let's focus on Nolan. I have a question. Nolan, the pro- professional basketball player, has a very strong faith. Um, this is not what you would normally associate with most pro athletes, although there are c- certain visible exceptions, such as Tim Tebow, for example. Uh, why did you want to associate uh, professional basketball and faith? Well, you know, it is so different. And I think that's what I love about Nolan. He is, you know, he's very successful and he's very popular like a Tim Tebow. But that doesn't mean he's not lonely. And I think, you know, when you're a multimillionaire pro athlete, it helps if you have something that you can relate to. And I think, uh, you know, Nolan, his loneliness, his, his desire and ability to be different, to stand firm on the faith that he so believes in, it makes him likable. It makes him someone we can relate to because I think we can all relate to the idea of being lonely or not quite fitting in. And that's certainly how Nolan was. And I kind of thought to myself, what if a guy like Tim Tebow? I mean, what if a guy like that, you know, in the NBA, so here we have Nolan Cook, what if his story had a lot of heartache in it that we didn't really know about? People see this sort of great, you know, base of faith and these great deeds that the person does, but inside a broken heart. And I just, that was intriguing to me. 
That's, I, I understand that because when I, as I was reading the book, Nolan didn't seem very celebrity-like to me. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying here. Uh, let me ask you, in The Chance, you bring back some characters from Bridge, your prior novel. A lot of your writing has recurring characters. Um, why do you do that? Well, you know, you know, I'm a real extrovert. It's funny. A lot of authors, a lot of novelists in particular, are real introverts, and they they spend time alone with their characters, and that's where they kind of come to life, and that's you know that's great. But for me, I am such an extrovert that when I'm alone with my characters, they better be real. I mean, they better like take on such a um, an ability to be relatable and to feel like they become my friends and my my uh, community for that time while I'm writing. And I think that's something I hear from the readers more often than not, is that they love the characters. They they feel like they know them. They find themselves praying for them. And so it's a little hard to leave them behind, especially when, you know, you're talking about a standalone book. And, you know, that's the case with all of these books with Howard. They're standalones. And so uh, a recurring character like that, it just gives me a chance to kind of give a wink to the readers who were with me for the last book and allow them to see that those characters that they so love, just like I love them, uh, live on in some way. I see. So you have an extended fiction family as well as your own family. That's so true. (laughs) Now, I'm reluctant to talk in too much detail about the chance because I don't want to give anything away. So are there other things you would like people to know about the themes and issues in The Chance? Well, the chance has a lot of heartache and brokenness, especially broken relationships um, on the part of Ellie, certainly. And she has, you know, we come into current day with her and she has broken relationships with everyone who ever mattered to her, including Nolan. And and it's caused her to be um, closed in and somewhat bitter and somewhat jaded. I think we have empathy for her because of her situation. Um, none of it was really her fault, you know, and when you find yourself a victim in many ways, it's easy to let the walls kind of come up, you know, brick walls and razor wire around our hearts. And that's sort of where Ellie is. And uh, so really this book deals with the knots and the tanglements that come with um, unfair things and hurts in life and the way that only forgiveness will set you free and give you the life that you're hoping to find. So in a deeply, this story is about love, but it is really about forgiveness. And I, I believe that the readers will resonate with that because, you know, as you go through the pages of your story, you're bound to be hurt. Things are bound to happen that are not fair. And, and if we can't find forgiveness, we become the prisoner. So, you know, I think that to a large degree, the element of forgiveness will speak deeply and loudly to the readers in this book. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to use the word forgiveness, but you have. And it's, it seems to me to be a very visible theme that, that you start the action off right away. It's, uh, it's going to grab the reader, I think, immediately. <laughs> Thank you, Marcia. Yeah, sure. I have several burning questions beyond the chance, and the the first one is obvious to me. Um, Karen, you are one remarkably productive writer, so tell us how you do that. Well, it's so funny because most of the time I beat myself up over being kind of a procrastinator, but, you know, it's um, as... 
as the journey of writing books has gone and as, you know, God's just really blessed it, I feel that, you know, as I said, there's been many more readers and many more books sold, um, you know, there's more to do with the kind of business side, the marketing side of writing. And I find myself spending more time on that and on certainly visiting with my reader friends on Facebook and Twitter. That takes up almost more time than the writing. So I think my, my biggest determination, I'm very... Um, you know, in, intentional about finding time to write. And, and I guess for me, I write really quickly when I'm actually in a place to write. And that, you know, I almost need a seatbelt on my sofa so that I can sit there and not get up and be drawn into the many other things that kind of grab at my time. But when I do sit down and I do focus and write, I, I really never have writer's block. I mean, I, the story just flows. It's like as fast as I can type. So, you know, it might take me a hundred hours to write a novel once I have my outline, it's just finding those hundred hours. So and that gets harder all the time, but I just try to stay focused. Well, can you bottle that? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, and this, this kind of leads into my next question. Um, did you write that fast to begin with? In other words, my, have you picked up speed? How has your work changed over time? You know, I, I don't think that it's gotten a lot faster. I think there were days back in, you know, like I wrote even now in four days. So, I mean, that was my, my fastest one. I know I was writing, you know, two or 2,000, 2,500 words an hour kind of thing because I had less interruptions. So maybe it's taking longer than it used to, I guess, if anything. But, you know, what changes is that you have to have your, your ear to the ground emotionally to where people are at, you know, and that changes year to year, what matters to us, what touches us, what tragedies mark our, our days. And, um, so, you know, I want to be relevant. Like certainly my early books didn't mention Twitter, but the one I'm working on right now, Twitter is a big aspect of that book. And it's a way of, of communicating that, um, that we can relate to. So I try to be current and relevant. I think that's the main thing and look for themes that are developing right now, in the world of faith, I see the, the theme of story being very important. People talk often about, you know, you have a story. It's certainly something I've been talking about for a while, but I just see that as kind of, um, you know, people are caught up in the romance of their story, whether that's a, a literal romantic situation or really just the romance of the beauty of their story and how it interacts with how you interact with God, with other people, how we can love better. And I think those themes are, are what we'll see then showing up in my books. Understand, understand. I, I know that you are, um, you will do topical references. For example, you had a number of books that referred to uh, the nine eleven tragedy after its occurrence. So. Yes, that's so, I mean, just like that, that's super important. And I'll have a, you know, a reference even to Sandy Hook, I mean, a brief one, but in the book I'm writing now that you would have, it would be almost wrong to write a novel set in, you know, late 2012 and not reference that in some way. It touched everyone. So, you know, you just, it's just being aware of those things and including them so that there is a, I don't know, just, you know, more of a sense that this story is a real story, even though it's a novel. Right, right. Okay. Well, if, if it's one of the characteristics of a, of a Kingsbury work that, that there will be these topical references, let, let me talk or ask you about one of your other characteristics or what you're known for, and that's reader responsiveness. You're friends with your readers. Every time I see you at a trade show, there's this long line of people waiting for your autograph. Now, And I know you have a number of specific programs and, and things you do in place to help you cultivate those ties to your, to your readers. So can, can you just tell us about some of what, what you do and, and how that works? 
You know, I think it, thank you. That's a, I appreciate that you even, you know, have noticed that, but you know, I think it comes from when I was growing up and you know, I, I wanted to be a novelist and I wanted that since I was probably five years old and my dad breathed life into that dream. And he would, you know, tell me at 12 and 14 and 17 and he would say, Karen, one day everyone is going to read your work and, and you're going to be that next best selling author. Someone has to be, and it might as well be you. So, you know, I love that he breathed life into my dreams. Um, but as that started actually happening and I would have an autograph line to, you know, to sign and to meet with people, he would then kind of go, kind of come back at, from the other side and say, now remember, there won't be any autograph lines in heaven. And I love that. And he would say also, you know, the minute you believe this, it's over. You've got to keep yourself relatable. You're no different than anyone else. And, and I love that, too. It's just, you know, that ability to uh, not become some kind of, you know, um, pop culture icon in any way, but just to be relatable, to be a mom and a wife and a person who, you know, does laundry, whatever, just relatable to my readers. So to me, I don't, I don't really even use the word fan. I use the word friend. You know, I know that they see it sometimes differently, and I can't really help that. But um, it's fun for me to get on Facebook and to have a latte time where they'll come on and ask questions, and I'll get my mom and my sister and my daughter in the room, and they'll be firing questions at me because I can't read them fast enough, and, you know, I'll be answering them. So it's kind of like a lifetime chat, which is fun. Um, we have a reader share program that we – I have – eight people on my staff here and, and as a team, you know, we try to come up with ideas of how we can connect and, and help and serve really the reader friends. And, um, the reader share program is one where people write in and they say that they've got, you know, they can be a donor and then they say the country. So like donor in South Africa or a donor in Nigeria or the United States. And then I have other reader friends who are in need and you know, for whatever reason, they can't afford the book this time around. And they'll write in and they'll say in need in South Africa or Nigeria or U.S. And then we connect them. And pen pals are made and friends are made. And here's someone who can send their gently used or another new copy of, of one of my books to someone in need. So we ha we, we do that. And then I also um, I love donating books to any school so people can write in. And, and really from anywhere in the world and we'll send a free copy of one of my books to their library, to a school library. So that's like a, a way to be able to try to keep the material available for free for those who really cannot afford to, to get a copy, you know, electronically or, or a print copy. So that's a fun thing. And, and it just kind of goes on from there. Like we have some donation programs. We have needs that will come up where a family or some story of tragedy has crossed my path and, we can take, you know, a person who's in need and we can put them as a character in the book and raise some money for them. So that's, a, that's something we've done kind of time and again over the last decade. And we've really enjoyed that, too. But, you know, and on Twitter, same thing, you know, a lot of giveaways, lots of uh, ways to engage them, asking them how I can pray for them and then you know, being intentional about that. So I just think it's it really is like a friendship. And when I go and meet with people. I stand at the front of the line because they're standing and um, lots of hugging and lots of picture taking and laughter. And it really, it really does feel like I'm meeting with friends. Well, as I am listening to you talk, I, I'm struck by the relationship that can be drawn between fiction and philanthropy. Let me ask you about um, one particular segment of your readers um, authors of inspirational romances are not normally thought of as having a lot of male readers. And yet um, I noticed in your reader testimonial section a statement from a man who had been stationed in Iraq 
who uh, hooked his buddies on your books. Uh, tell us about your male readers. You know, I think what it comes down to is that it's the guys who are okay to feel. Because my books are emotional, but they really do have a lot of guy-type plots. I mean, they have, you know, everything from terrorism to bank robberies to, I mean, there's some action in some of my novels like that. That's not, and they're not just relational. I always like to say that they're like real life stories with a lot of drama and oftentimes a relational aspect. So they don't really neatly fit into like the romance category for that reason. So I think that the guys read it and they go, Oh, okay. This isn't what I thought. It's not just this soft, fluffy kind of a romance. You know, it's really gritty. It's like a real type story. It's about a drunk driving accident or, or some other kind of a, you know, a terrorist attack. And, and then, you know, it's often that it really appeals to the guys who, um, who can feel. We have a friend who's on the SWAT team um, in Washington State, and he loves to read my books. And we were uh, vacationing together once, and it was probably 7 in the morning, and he, he was reading one Tuesday morning, and he said, I'm going to go down to the beach. i got to do a little bit of reading. You know, he's all got his, like, gruff personality on. He goes down to the beach and comes back up an hour later. His eyes are all red. He goes, ah, the wind. He goes, my allergies are acting up. Good book. He sets it down on the counter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just so funny because, like, these are guys that are okay to cry. They may, they may make jokes about it. You know, they might laugh about it. But they're guys that, um, you know, they, they have a right brain side to them that is very emotional. And they may be in tough jobs, soldiers or police officers or truck drivers. But this connects them with a part of them that they sometimes don't get to experience. And I think that gives them a release and a, a way to, um, you know, feel good about that part of themselves. And I think that's where it connects with guys. Well, that's good to hear from a romance novelist. (laughs) Karen, I'm looking at the time, and I think we've got time for one more question. And so I'd like to ask you about the relationship of your family to your writing. Readers learn a lot about your family because your dedications are so detailed. What's behind that? Why have you chosen to be so disclosing? Well, you know, when I wrote my first novel, I wasn't sure you really could do that. Like, I was kind of like, what are the rules here? You know, what what am I allowed to do? Do I just, like, is it just a list of names, or can I say a few things? And, you know, I got the green light. So um, I just kind of feel like as the kids get older, I really, you know, at the end of my days, I don't want them to look back and say, Mom was such a great author. I want them to remember the story that I wrote with the days of my life, my days raising them and loving them and laughing with them. And so to me, the dedications are the part of the book that will speak to them the loudest. And the rest of the story will probably have more impact on them if they realize that not only did I put them first in life, but I put them first in the books as well. And, um, you know, I think at the end, like, I don't know when, but maybe when they're 21, each when they kind of hit a certain age, I love to gather all the dedications in chronological order and kind of do one of those like picture books and, and put it together, like growing up in dedications. Cause I was so specific that, you know, you really can see the kids growing up and I've got readers, I'll meet them and they'll say, I've watched your kids grow up in dedications. So I think that's important to them that they know where they fit in my priority list. I understand. I am as a mother myself, I understand. And I'm really enjoying this conversation but our time is coming to a close. So I thank you so very much, Karen Kingsbury, for talking with me on PW FaithCast. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I'd love to do it again sometime. Thanks, Karen. I'll close this time with a reminder that Karen Kingsbury's newest novel, The Chance, will be available in March from Howard Books, which is the sponsor of today's presentation. 
I'm Marcia Nelson, and this has been PW FaithCast. Thank you for listening.